Good morning, church. Uh, please bear with my voice. A little bit too much excitement yesterday. So um, if I hand the mic to you halfway through, uh, my voice is gone. Uh, hopefully you uh, have all got to find out where the book of Jonah is over our series. Uh, in this small carry version of the Lord's Word, Jonah fits on one page. So, um, yeah, bookmarks have been handy. And we're on the last chapter in Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter 4. And uh, the title of uh, this chapter is enough to uh, make you consider where Jonah is at. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. Mm, that makes you think, doesn't it? So Jonah chapter 4, and we're reading that whole chapter starting at verse 1. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Now I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not, did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not therefore have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. May God bless his word. Amen. Thanks so much, Tony. Well, good morning. Well, for those of you who don't know, I am Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here at SDBC, and I will be bringing the word to you this morning. And uh, I really hope that you have benefited from this Jonah series. It's been very exciting to uh, just go through this again. And it's interesting, when most of us think about the book of Jonah, uh, our focus seems to be upon Nineveh. Our focus seems to be upon the fact that Nineveh, the whole city, uh, turned to God. But the thing is, there's a whole chapter 
after that, which doesn't really speak much about Nineveh. And so the book of Jonah is actually about Jonah as well. And I would like to say that he's the main character and the fact that he is turned around, he is challenged by God and drawn closer to him as a result of that. So here in uh, this passage this morning, we're going to be looking at what happened with Jonah. For those of you interested, the questions uh, for our sermons are actually on the um, desk near the notice board there. Please feel free to grab those. Uh, It'd be great uh, to participate in that if you can and help you think through some of this stuff. As we kick this off, I think it's important that we do a little recap, especially considering that last week was what? Okay, four of you realise it was Focus Sunday. That's good. Uh, Our mission in reality is no different to what God has called each and every believer to. But we have changed the words a little bit. It's the same message across any evangelical church. We're working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Not just followers of Christ. We want passionate followers of Jesus Christ. People who are actively engaged in seeking his will and purpose in their lives and who are desiring to know him more and more through reading the word, praying, gathering as a people in services such as this and also in prayer meetings and Bible studies and those types of things. This, in reality, is what we're called to do, each and every believer in fulfilling Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. But he will be with us always to the end of the age. And our overall vision is to be committed to God every day. You'll see that on our new banner in the foyer. Connecting with one another every week. And this year's focus is being concerned for others at every opportunity. In order for us to be able to do that in a Christian context, we need to understand what Matthew 28 is calling us to and what we're also called to in other places of Scripture. And we need to realise too that each and every believer is God's chosen instrument. The commission of Matthew 28 is for each and every one of us. And that's our focus, believing and acting on that. And we saw this in Jonah 3 last week, how God used one man to proclaim this message to Nineveh. Now, I want you to think a little bit about how big Nineveh is because people don't really know how big Nineveh is. And so it's like me saying, Judy, go to the Gold Coast and proclaim to it its wickedness. That's about the size of Nineveh. Okay, Nineveh is estimated to be between 600,000 and 1.2 million at the time that Jonah went there. The Gold Coast was around 600,000 in 211. It's obviously grown. So get your head around that. And could you imagine today, Judy comes back to us and we're like, Judy, how did it go? It's like, they all came to faith. What, the five, six you spoke to? No, no, no. They all came to faith. So who? All of them. Every one of them. The entire city. Can, Can you just fathom how incredible that is? One man with God reached the Gold Coast. It's a phenomenal thing and we shouldn't take that lightly. But that's not where the story ended. And there's possibly a great work that occurs with Jonah in this last chapter. And so as the story of Jonah continues, we see that God isn't happy with where Jonah's at. 
This whole city has come to faith as a result. This whole city has repented and turned to God. But God wants to take time to minister to Jonah. He makes a few things happen to reveal to Jonah that he's got some ingrained attitudes or characteristics that are not godly and they need to be dealt with. And as we look at this chapter 4, we see that God's not only concerned for Nineveh, he's also concerned for individuals. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you for what we can learn from scripture. And I want to thank you, Lord, that when we have a heart and desire and passion to engage with you, you speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, my desire this morning is that everyone who hears my voice, here in the auditorium or online, will engage with this this morning. They will hear your voice. They'll sense your challenges through power of Holy Spirit, and they will be transformed as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Again, could you imagine how we would respond if this happened in our day and time? If we heard that the entire Gold Coast had come to faith, it would be incredible, wouldn't it? We would just be celebrating so much. We would be overawed. Some of us would be struck dumb. Some of us would just be singing out praises to God. Some of us simply wouldn't know what to do. I mean, heaven forbid, there may even be joyful dancing amongst us. But um, we have Jonah here who should have been celebrating this incredible thing that God has done. He should have been praising, honouring and glorifying God. He should have been looking at how he was going to form churches, how he was going to raise up leadership, how he was going to disciple these people. He should have been calling in leaders from other towns to do this in this city because they haven't had any foundation at all. And instead, he's not a happy camper, is he? What God did... Did that just skip? No, I've blown it again. No, it did skip. What God did displeased Jonah exceedingly. And it made him angry. It's ridiculous. It's unfathomable that this man of God would have this attitude. And Timothy Keller quotes this passage as saying, what God did was so terrible to Jonah that he burned with anger. And when you look at the way this is put together, that's pretty appropriate. Uh, Commentators also say that it could be translated to Jonah, this was a disaster, a great disaster. And he became very angry. That's incredible, isn't it? That this man of God would rather see the city of Nineveh, these Syrians, totally wiped out, totally destroyed, more than having his reputation as a prophet dented, or these enemies of Israel forgiven. Jonah reacts to God in anger. And instead of God smiting or judging him as we think he does, we see God's great compassion. When we speak of biblical compassion, we're speaking of an act of mercy, sympathy, or to have pity. And what we saw last week was God acting compassionately towards Nineveh, the Syrians in Nineveh. And now we see him doing the same thing with Jonah, a single man. 
God's not only interested in big groups of people. He's not interested in Nineveh. He's interested in the individuals. And that includes you. He wants to know you. He wants to relate to you individually. He has a desire for you to get to know him. And so God is more interested in the spiritual well-being of his individual followers than the work itself. We see all through the book of Jonah that God pursues him. And we see that Jonah was obviously not completely surrendered to God too. God pursued him again and again and appoints things to happen to make Jonah realise the error of his way. And here Jonah is angry with God. It's a bit humorous, but it's a bit pathetic as well, isn't it? And so he prays to the Lord and he says, Isn't this what I said you would do, Lord, in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you were a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Not a drama queen at all, hey. But it's funny and pathetic because Jonah is angry at God for God being exactly who God declares himself to be. God is remaining constant and true and Jonah's angry about that. It's ridiculous. And it's like Jonah thinks he can subtly remind God about who he is by using the name Lord. The name Lord is the covenant name, Yahweh, that was given to the people of Israel. And it's like Jonah's reminding God, hey, we're your covenant people, not Nineveh, not the Syrians. Why would you protect our enemies? Why would you raise them up? Why would you allow them to be forgiven? He wants God to fulfill his promises to Israel in keeping them safe and protected from their enemies. And he doesn't see this as being the way to do it. Being merciful to Israel's enemies isn't the way Jonah saw this happening. And it's like Jonah's declaring to God, where's the justice? God, you've been gracious, you've been merciful, you are slow to anger, you're abounding in love. And God, you relented from bringing disaster upon Nineveh. And it makes me so angry that you've done this, that I want to die. I'd be better off dead. And Jonah was committed enough to God so that he would obey what God told him to do. But his heart wasn't in it. He really didn't understand the very characteristics he accuses God of having. But what is incredible is how gently God deals with Jonah. And he does it with us too. And I believe it's because God wants to build character, not make us comfortable. And I know so many of us have been in dark places. So many of us have questioned our faith at times. So many of us have asked where God is in the midst of some very deep waters. And I know some of you are in very deep waters right now. You wonder where God is, why he isn't responding the way that you like, why he isn't answering your prayers. I'd like to suggest that God is answering your prayers right now. He's present with you right now. But without trying to sound condescending or patronising, you can't see it right in the moment. You can't see it when you're in that dark place right now. But when you get through that, and you look back, 
you'll see all these things that God did and his thumbprints are going to be all over what has occurred and you'll realise he was manipulating and making things happen to grow you, to draw you to himself. But in the middle of what you're going through, whether it's self-inflicted or not, you can't see it. And that's where Jonah is right now. Jonah is like so many of us. He doesn't really want God. Not, not God the way God declares himself to be. Jonah wants a puppet that will do and say the things he wants him to. He wants to drag God down to his level. And he wants God to think like him, act like him, uh, judge like him, be prejudiced like him. And if only God thought that way, then I would follow him 100%. Jonah may not have verbalised it like that, but that's certainly what he wanted. He wanted God to hate Nineveh like he hated Nineveh. He wanted God to wipe out Nineveh like he believed Nineveh should be wiped out. And think of what Jonah is saying. My life is no longer worth living. He's really saying, you know, if this has happened, there is nothing left worth living for that includes you God you're not worth it and so it becomes clearly evident that Jonah had another God he didn't have the one true God as his king there was something else that was over God and when he lost that What's left? Nothing. But as he comes to grips with this incredible loss, as he vents his anger at God in attitude and action, God is present and God speaks. Do you do well to be angry? I find this amazing. I, I don't know how God spoke to Jonah, whether it was an audible voice or whatever, but I believe this would have been very clear to Jonah. He would have known that it was God speaking. Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah simply walks away. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't respond. He just walks away. How often have I done that? How often have you done that? We hear the truth of God's word through reading his word. We pray about certain matters and situations and this consciousness comes to mind about what we should do and that lines up with God's word. We have trusted Christian friends who come alongside us, sometimes rebuke us, sometimes instruct us. And again, when we line up what they say with God's word, it seems to be true. It seems to be what God would say. And even though we listened to all those things, we didn't hear them. We didn't take them on board. We didn't apply them. And we went and did our own thing. I thought my way was best for me at the time. So I walked away from God without acknowledging what he had said. And even if I disagreed, I wasn't happy with what God said or appears to say. I didn't go to him and pray. I didn't ask for him to reveal his wisdom to me. I didn't ask him to affirm the word that I'd already received. 
deep down, I didn't want to hear what was right and true. I wanted to do my own thing. But we see God isn't happy leaving even an individual to wander off. We've got all those accounts in Scripture about the 99 and the one that wandered. God pursues the one that wandered. And he's pursuing Jonah now, and he's pursuing you if you're one of those wanderers as well. And so God manipulates things. He makes things happen. He brings events, occurrences, people and promptings into our lives to try and get our attention so we listen to him. And what did he do with Jonah? Well, Jonah's outside the city and he's sulking about the great city of Nineveh that uh, didn't get wiped out and God forgave them and he's still hoping that something will happen to change God's mind and wipe them out anyway can you picture him there sitting out there hot sweating thinking he should have perhaps brought a cold drink maybe a hat he's suffering a bit and so the Lord appoints this plant it comes up over Jonah and gave him shade and saved him from his discomfort And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. It's the first time in Jonah that we see that Jonah was happy. And he wasn't just happy, he was exceedingly happy. He was overjoyed. He was almost doing the dance we're talking about, which is forbidden in this church. I'm only joking about forbidden dance, okay? But Jonah's incredibly happy. But the plant has been appointed by God. It sprung up overnight and provided this incredible shade. And God is using that plant to reveal the true heart of Jonah. So what happens the next morning? Man, sometimes this thing can be frustrating. When the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant. And it withered. God appointed the plant that brought great pleasure. Now he appoints a worm and it seems to dull Jonah's exceedingly happy moment. In fact, the sun rises, there's a scorching east wind, the sun beats down on the head of Jonah, he becomes faint and he asks that he may die again. It's better for me to die than to live. And I can imagine Jonah seeing the withered plant, the east wind beginning to blow and throwing his hands up in the air and saying, a storm at sea swallowed by a fish, thrown up by the same fish, God forgiving Nineveh our enemies. And now this? Seriously? This plant has died. I got nothing. It's better for me to die. And God again asked Jonah, do you, well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah responds, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. God has Jonah's attention. Jonah's talking to God. And God brings a word which is scathing. And we may not read it that way. But everything God has done with Jonah to this point is to prepare him to confront his own personal self-righteousness. And so the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God pulls no punches here. He lays it on the line. And as I say, we don't really get the heaviness of this this word. 
Jonah pitied the plant. Jonah wept over it. He mourned its loss. He had compassion towards it. But it's a plant. God's compassion is for people. Jonah was more concerned about his personal comfort than about the repentance and salvation of the people of Nineveh. And God manipulated so many things that Jonah may see the hardness of heart and his own self-righteousness. Some of the things Jonah went through would have been horrendous, let's face it. They would have been terrible things to go through. But they all came from God's hand. They all had a purpose. And each of us have those times in our lives where we experience the ups and downs. We have the spiritual highs and the incredible spiritual lows. And in the midst of that, we can choose to run from God. We can choose to ignore him. We can choose to disobey him. Or we can accept the circumstances that we're in and appreciate that in, even in the midst of the most difficult times, God has a lesson for us. And I know that's incredibly difficult for us to accept. But if you want to read about someone who had an incredible life of ups and downs, I think you should go back to Genesis 37 to 50 and read about Joseph. This guy who believed that he was going to be a ruler, who believed he was going to have a prominent position by God's hand, is beat up by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of attempted rape of a woman and imprisoned again. He's forgotten by someone who could have given him a way out. And at no time do we hear Joseph complain. At no time do we hear him wishing for something else. Instead he says, this is where I am now. And I'm going to serve God in this place at this time. And we see great and mighty things happen as a result. If you want someone in the New Testament, read about Paul. Man alive, what a life that guy had. And it was far from rosé. But in all things, he learnt. To just be satisfied. And he honoured and glorified God in all those things. The beautiful thing, beautiful thing about the story of Jonah is, I believe he finally got it. I believe he understood God's great compassion and grace and that it was for all mankind. And I base that fact on the fact we have this book. Uh, there's some question as to whether Jonah himself wrote it, but even if he didn't write it, he reset this enough that someone did. And I'd imagine that Jonah would sit around with other believers and he'd be talking through what happened and he'd speak about his own personal hardness of heart and how wrong he was and how gracious God was with his dealings with him. And how Jonah himself finally came to understand God's grace, mercy, love and relentless pursuit of men. And so this is perhaps the overarching message for all of us. Jonah came to understand it and we need to come to understand it as well. God's great compassion. <clears throat> when we think about Jonah... We see God's pursuit of him and God appointed the forces of nature and the fish of the sea to draw him back. 
And Jonah makes this commitment to God, but it isn't a full commitment to him. A commitment which comes from a full understanding of who God is and all that he's done. And there's actually a hint right back in Jonah 2.8 when Jonah prays this prayer when he's in the fish. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. And we've spoken about this, but the reality is Jonah had seen and acknowledged his need for grace. But there's still some pride left in his life. He may need mercy, he may need forgiveness, but he doesn't need it as much as those pagans who worship worthless idols. Those guys are a step below him. And so there's still a little pride and arrogance in his life. And so we see God works in Jonah's life. And then there's Nineveh. Jonah proclaimed the word that God had given him to speak. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And each and every person humbled themselves before God. The king stepped off his throne and put on the sackcloth that everyone else had put on. He sat on the ground like everyone else did. He refused water and food like everyone else did. The nobles agreed with this and issued a decree for the whole nation to do exactly that. If you walked through Nineveh at that time, you wouldn't have been able to tell the wealthy from the poor. It was a level playing field. They were all equally humbled. All were dressed the same. All refused food and water. All cried out to God. God never gave up on Nineveh. He forgave them. God never gave up on Jonah. I believe he was forgiven too. We worship the same God. He'll never give up on you. He'll constantly pursue you. I want you to think back to what was said in Jonah 4.11. This is God. Should I not pity Nineveh? That's the ESV version. The amplified version says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? They're very telling words. And and I have to be honest with you, I I don't appreciate how radical this statement is. This is something we have to try and get our heads around. Thinking from a human perspective, when we love someone, we can only be happy when they're happy. When they grieve, we grieve. When they're sad, we're sad. when we love them, we're dictated by how they're feeling about the way we feel too. The word translated pity or compassion here means to grieve over someone or something, to have your heart broken and to weep for it. Just think about that in relation to God. God is complete in and of himself. Is God a God of love? Yeah. Okay, And is he complete in that love? And has he been complete in that love for all of eternity? And the answer is yes. And that tells us that the Trinity, in my opinion, is definitely true. Because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God loved equally those people. And he was complete in that love. So if he's complete in that love, he doesn't need anyone or anything else. He doesn't need us. But he chooses to love us. That is mind-blowing. It's incredible. It's, it's incomprehensible. 
He chooses to express his compassion toward us. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to. But he wants to. And he wants us to experience the love that he has shared for eternity with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He wants us to understand that. He wants us to be brought into that. And that's why he continues to pursue us. Understanding God's grace and being changed by it is something that happens progressively. It happens over a period of time. And we will never get to the end of it in our lifetime. It's a long journey with many different stages. It doesn't happen in a single moment. But we get to understand it more and more. The more we engage with God, the more we read his word, the more we pray, the more we share with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. God looked upon Nineveh. He saw their evil and he knew he had to act. He is also a just God. But his heart was that they would be saved. That they would be restored to a saving knowledge of himself. And he chose a very interesting character in Jonah to be his chosen instrument to bring them that faith, to restore them. And God is in the process of restoring all things to himself, all things. He will not give up. And he wants to use us to bring the lost to him. That's his only plan. Will we willingly submit to him and obey his call on our life? Are we willing to do that? I think there are people sitting here today who are angry with God. That's actually okay, depending on what you do with it. You need to go to God and tell him you're angry. You need to engage in conversation with him. You need to listen to what he has to say. So have you told him and talked to him about that? Maybe you've lost something or someone and you hold God responsible. I think you should talk to him about it. Some of us aren't angry with God, but we've willingly disobeyed him. We've walked away from what he's called us to do. We haven't lived for him the way that we should. We have made all sorts of excuses for not doing what he's called us to. And it's interesting when we take that first step away from God, we soon forget the call to tell others about Jesus. And it doesn't happen. The account we've read of Jonah is honest. It's uncut. It doesn't cast Jonah in a very favourable light, does it? But if we're honest with each other, and if we're honest about our journey with God, perhaps a book written about me would have very similar pitfalls, perhaps even greater pitfalls and failures. But God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He does not want to destroy you. He does not want to punish you. He wants to restore you. And he wants to do a great and mighty work at SDBC and in our community through each and every one of us. He calls you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. And I thank you that even though you don't need me, you don't need us, you have made this incredible decision to use us. And Lord, I, I pray that you'll raise up 
Jonah's from amongst us. I pray that you'll raise up bold people who will step out in faith for you and see great and mighty things happen as a result because they know you and them together, Lord, can do great and mighty things. So, Father, humble us just as the people of Nineveh were humbled. Call us to repentance, Lord, and let us be willing to do that. And, Lord, restore us. I know there's people here who are living for you and have experienced the great joy of bringing others into the kingdom. Lord, just allow them to continue to do that. Thank you so much that they are committed to you. There's some of us who don't know quite how to do that, Lord, and I just pray that you'll speak into their lives, that you'll bring Christian brothers and sisters around them who'll encourage them and strengthen them in the faith and in doing what you would have them to do. But Father, for each of us, I pray we'll take that first step to commit ourselves to follow you all the days of our lives. And maybe for some of us, that's a recommitment this morning, Lord. So go with us and before us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.